0: The following audio is from Life Journey Church. More information about Life Journey Church is available at www.lifejourneyva.com. So uh, it's a very exciting day. For 17 months, we've been walking through slowly this book of Mark, and and we're getting to one of the the greatest climax of human history today. Uh, But before we get started, I want to just kind of get us thinking about something. Um, Think of a time in your life when you were blamed for something you did not do. Okay, you got that? Blame for something you did not do. Now, isn't that the whole point of younger siblings? Right? Okay. Where, where's Lou? Yeah, there they are. Yeah. I, I see you guys. Lou and Debbie. All right. It's coming out. All right. So that's kind of the whole point of younger siblings. Right, I'm, I'm the middle child. And so for years, I was, you know, catching it from my older sister. Like, her, my purpose for being was for her to get away with stuff, right? But then one glorious day, one day that lives in infamy, my younger sister was born. And so now I had the joy of dumping onto her everything that I did wrong as I learned so well to do from my older sister. And so what is it like to get blamed for something that you did not do? True story. I remember in high school, I was playing basketball in high school, um, and I came out of the game and I was going to sit down on the bench. And uh, while I was going to sit down, the referee totally missed a call totally missed a call. And the guy who's sitting down next to where I was about to sit down screams out, that's a foul ref. And so the referee turns around seeing me sit down. He thinks that I had stood up and yelled that and then was sitting down and he called a technical foul. Well, our coach is like technical foul. What are you talking about? And so he yells to the ref, who is that on? And the referee said, the big white guy. Well, that (laughs) particular year that was only pertain to one individual and so i knew that i was being wrongly blamed for something that i did not do so i had a choice to make i had a choice either to take this blame be a good teammate and run the you know suicides and all the penalty you know the punishment for for getting a technical foul from the bench no less or throw my teammate under the bus under the bus he went right <laughs> it, like it, it didn't even take a second I said, Kyle Graffenreed, you right now, either tell him what you just said or I'm going to knock you out. <laughs> and uh, ironically enough, this morning at 5.30, I got a friend request from Kyle Graffenreed. And I told him I was going to tell him that story. And so, Kyle, if you're listening, because I told him I was going to put this on the Internet, I love you, buddy, but I'm not going to take your punishment. <laughs> <laughs> so I did not want to suffer for somebody else's mistake. I knew it was coming. My coach turned beet red, and he was notorious for just chewing people out, and I didn't want that. So under the bus, Kyle went. Listen, whether you are a follower of Jesus this morning or not, I would bet that none of us enjoy being blamed for something that we don't do. I mean, what happens when you get blamed for something you don't do? I mean, if you're a teenager. Or if you're an adult, it does not matter. What happens? What what happens in you that moment that you get blamed for something you didn't do? You you want justice, right? You you, you want to be exonerated. You want your name cleared. We want the guilty to be punished and the righteous ones to be set free, talking about ourselves. So whether at work and we get blamed for something that our co-worker did, or if we're even just sitting on the school bus and the kid next to us was the one who threw the whatever out the window and you get in trouble for it. it. doesn't matter. We do not want to get blamed for someone else's mistake. We want the truth to come out and not to suffer the guilt that someone else's do. No one I know gets joy out of suffering for someone else. No one I know steps up and runs suicides for Kyle de when it's he the one that should be running the suicides. No one I know gets willingly fired for their co-workers' mistakes. You see that? No one I know takes the blame when someone else ran their car into your car. No, no one I know does that. No, no one I know freely lays down his life for the scum of the earth. Now, we know that people will die for important people, presidents, world leaders. People will die for them. But who in their right mind would die for a homeless man? Maybe somebody. It's going to be very rare, very rare. What does it take ultimately to receive the punishment that is due someone else? What does it take? What does it take? It takes a love so intense, so severe, that the survival of the other person is more important than your own. It takes a love that's not, quite frankly, of this world. You see, I'm convinced that every single husband in this room would gladly lay down his life for his wife and for his children. I'm convinced of that. But would any father, any husband in this room, lay down his life for the man who took the life of your wife and of your children? Not me. That is a depth of mercy and grace that I cannot generate on my own. Maybe you can. But I'm just being honest to say, I cannot generate that on my own. So whether you're a follower of Jesus this morning or not, I think that you will agree that by default, we do not want to suffer for someone else's mistakes. True? You see that in your life? True? I mean, just in general. Now we get to look at the cross. Now we get to behold Jesus, who is now to our cross. He's hanging on our tree that we should be hanging on, that we should be cursed. His broken and bloodied body, body writhing in pain, suffering for nothing that he did. We look at Jesus hanging on the cross and we think, what in the world? Why is he doing this? There must be some mistake." But Jesus had a mission to accomplish. He agreed with the Father in eternity past in this thing that's called the covenant of redemption that Jesus would suffer the full wrath of God's fury, his holy judgment against sin. This was Jesus' mission. His mission was to be nailed to a tree, to become our sin, and then hang there for hours after wave wave and wave of God's righteous wrath against your sin and my sin was totally and fully exhausted. Exhausted, the wrath exhausted. We have to understand that when animals were sacrificed in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, the wrath of God's fury came upon those animals, and the sacrifice was fully exhausted. The wrath was not. The sacrifice became burnt, charred, nothings before the fury of God's wrath against that sin was exhausted. So the animal was done away with, but the wrath remained no animal could endure the wrath of god against sin for that matter no mere human could there must be another sacrifice there must be one who could stand in the gap between a holy and righteous god and the sinful wicked man there must be someone else who is holy as god but yet has entered into the human race there must be a god man there must be god who has become human there must be emmanuel god with us God is one of us. And there was. And this is Jesus, who we've been for 17 weeks looking at, or 17 months looking at his life, day by day. In our upcoming series that Richard just talked about, we're going to start in Genesis 1. And we're going to go through Exodus 13, I think it is. Not every single verse <laughs> in nine weeks. But we're going to look at all these different places where we see Jesus. Pictures of him. Showing us that from the very beginning, his plan was to be placed on a tree to suffer our condemnation. To establish a new covenant. In Jesus doing away with sin, God now breathes life into our dead hearts. He adopts us into his family and we now in Christ have no spot, no wrinkle or any such thing because every spot, every wrinkle, every such thing was placed on Christ on the cross. And in this new covenant that Jesus has, it has, has, has established, it's nothing like the old covenant. The old covenant was conditioned on our ability to keep rules. But the new covenant is 100% conditioned, listen, on the perfect obedience of Jesus himself. When you transfer your trust from yourself to Jesus, you go from being in Adam to being now in Christ. His perfect obedience is given to you as a merciful, loving, and gracious gift from the Father, and you are actually presented to Jesus as a part of his bride. We in him, him in us, perfect union. So in this new covenant, we don't get closer to God when we do good and further from God when we do bad. We are given the very righteousness of God himself in Christ Jesus. You cannot and will not improve upon that. But in order to be given this righteousness, someone, Jesus, had to take all of our guilt. He had to take all of our shame and all of our sin, and that's what happens on the cross. That is what happened some 2,000 years ago where we finally, in Mark 15, starting in verse 13, see our sin being placed on him. Remember, this was his mission and the verse isn't going to be on the screen. I meant to put it on the screen, but the verse, 33 years earlier, the angel said to Joseph, you will call his name Joseph, for he will save his people from their sins. That's his mission. Was Jesus a good teacher? Yeah, he was. Was he a great humanitarian? You better believe it. Did, did Jesus seemingly fight against the extreme patriarchal system of the day? Yeah, I think he did. But his mission was to remove the sins of God's people. His mission was to save God's people from their sins. And that's what we get to read about today. After 17 months of walking through. So if you have your copy of God's word, it'll be on the screen if you don't. Pick up with me in chapter 15, verse 33. If you're new with us, we kind of read a little bit. We kind of chew on it. We read a little bit more, we chew on it. And then we wrap this thing up with some music with our band, a opportunity to respond in worship through singing. So the scripture says in verse 33, and when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. So Jesus had already been nailed to the tr- tree for some three hours. Since 9 a.m., he, st- he was hung on the tree, and now it's the sixth hour. That it is, It's six hours after sunrise, sunrise being 6 a.m., six plus six. I do have that one, 12. So this is 12 noon. Okay, 12 noon. Now, I want us to imagine 12 noon. They even have old westerns called high noon, right? What, what is 12 noon in your mind when you think of 12 noon? Bright. It's the brightest part of the day, correct? It's the brightest where the sun, S-U-N, is at its highest point above the earth. And now we have the sun, the S-O-N, of God hanging high above the earth, on this thing called a Roman cross. But instead of a bright, sunny day, or even a cloud-covered day, Mark says that it was darkness, darkness, complete darkness. So 12 noon, when it should be bright, was 12 midnight, darkness. What's going on? What's happening here? Well, Mark doesn't tell us exactly why this is happening, but I think we get a very clear picture We get a picture of a very ominous scene, something very strange that hasn't happened before and as far as I know, hasn't happened since. Mark seems to suggest that this is a darkness, not like a normal kind of, it was darker than normal, like as if it was just a solar eclipse, but that darkness covered the land. In this darkness, we see a picture of what's happening to Jesus. Listen, he's been hanging on the tree for three hours now. And when in the middle of the day, when it should be the brightest, it was as dark as midnight. What a picture of the darkness of all of our sin being placed on the one who is true light. At 12 noon, it should be bright. Jesus perfect in every way is the light of the world. But instead of being the light of the world in this very moment, Jesus becomes sin. The darkness of every single sin that you have or will ever commit descended into Jesus. The sin of every single person who believes in the promise of God in the Old Testament was placed on Jesus. The sin of every single one of yours was placed in Him. The light of the SUN was dark. The light of the SON was now the darkness of our sin. Second Corinthians 5:21 says that for our sake, for your benefit. The Father made Jesus to be sin. He wasn't just covered with sin. He embodied your sin. He became your sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. So this darkness is covering over the land. Verse 34, pick up with me." It says, "And at the ninth hour, so it's just the sixth hour. Now it's the ninth hour. Three hours have passed. Three hours. Three hours of this darkness. This darkness has been looming on Jesus. And for three hours, the righteous, vengeful, and holy wrath of the Father against our sin was being poured out wave after wave against our sin. For these three hours, Jesus, who never experienced even the slightest hint of disobedience before the Father, became every single disobedient sin that you and I have ever committed. Jesus, who never even thought to indulge in things like lust, greed, hate, selfishness, self-pity, or any sin that we do daily. In this moment, he became every single one of those. Every single one of them. Every single one of them. And the wrath of God is being dumped on him because of our sin. Jesus cries out, keep reading, in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And here, guys, listen, we see for the very first time in all of eternity past separation between the Father and the Son. For this one time, this one time only, they were not in perfect union. The Father, as Craig was just saying, has now turned his back. He has withheld his presence from his own Son, forsaken, alone. But Jesus knew why. Jesus didn't ask this question because he was ignorant of the facts, Jesus asked this question, he says it in this way, to reveal to us the depth of the separation, the depth of the sorrow that he was under as he was receiving the vengeful wrath of God's justice against your sin and mine. Separation, as Craig beautifully said this morning, and he said earlier in prayer time, that God would turn his back on his son so that he would never turn his back on you. What, a, what, a, what a grace. What grace. What love for us so now the the bitter painful scourging that pilate put him under was was the least of jesus's worries his own father had now turned his back on his son so that the father would never turn his back on us now as this is happening pick up with me in verse 35 and some of the bystanders hearing it said, So these are people, we don't know who, but just these people who are standing around the cross. Some of the bystanders hear Jesus say this, Eloi, Eloi, Lama Sabachthani. They hear it and they said, Behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and placed it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait. That is, let's slow this thing down. Let's see whether Elijah will come to take him down. So in the midst of Jesus swallowing the cup of God's judgment against our sin, someone thinking that they're cute wants to see more. It's already complete darkness. Isn't that enough to see and believe? But they hear Jesus say, Eloi, Eloi, which in Aramaic is my God, my God. But I don't know, maybe he thought he said, Eli, Eli which in Aramaic means Elijah. And so I don't know, I don't know what this guy is thinking, but it seems that he's looking for a show. He grabs something to drink to slow down the death of Jesus so that something greater could happen. Elijah would come down. They didn't see what Jesus was doing on their behalf. They didn't get it. So many of us today still don't get it, do we? Now, I'm not talking about just unbelievers that don't get it, but think about how many of us who do believe it in Jesus, still don't get it. So many of us don't see fully what Jesus fully did for us on the cross. I know I don't fully see it. It's, a, it's incredible. I pray this morning that we'll see fully what's happening, more fully than we ever have before. I pray that we fully see that every single sin of yours was placed on the sun, he became dark, he became darkness. He became your sin, so that by his sacrifice you would be received into the very presence of the Father. So Jesus has been hanging for some six hours, and the question is, would he endure? Would this sacrifice be enough? Would he be successful? Would the wrath of God be greater than the sacrifice as it had been with every other sacrifice, right, that we talked about earlier? Every other sacrifice, the wrath of God was greater than the sacrifice, and so the wrath remained. But for the first time ever, would the sacrifice endure? Would he be able to swallow every last drop of this cup of God's wrath? Would the sacrifice be able to exhaust the wrath of God, or would the wrath of God overpower the sacrifice and wrath remain? Let's read verse 37. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. Finally, it's over. But who prevailed? We have to ask this question. Who prevailed? Did Jesus endure the full wrath of God against our sin? Or did God's wrath exhaust the sacrifice before Jesus could fully receive it all? Who won? It's so important to see John chapter 19, verse 30, which is going to be on the screen. Mark just simply says it was a loud cry. But Mark doesn't tell us exactly what Jesus cried. John does. John says, and he said, it is finished and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit it's finished it's accomplished it's done it's complete it's paid it's over the cup is empty the cup of the father's wrath that the son knew that he would have to drink is now empty the sacrifice listen It endured. The sacrifice absorbed every single last drop of the fury of the Father. The pain and agony of becoming sin. The crushing blow of the Father's wrath. The mission of God was now complete. The mission of Jesus for why he came is now done. It's finished. What did the angel say 33 years before? You will name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And that's exactly what just happened. What did John the baptizer say when Jesus came forward? He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That, that just happened. It's finished. What did Jeremiah 31 say? Jeremiah 31, said, God says, I will forgive their iniquities. I will forgive their trespasses. And I will remember their sin no more that just happened. That just happened. It's finished. No longer would there be any more forgiveness of sins because Jesus has now forgiven every sin that was placed on him that would ever be forgiven. As the final act of accomplishing this mission that he came to do, Jesus dismissed his spirit and he died. No one took his life. He said, no one will take it, but I will freely lay it down The mission was complete. God's wrath against our sin was exhausted. Our sin was eradicated. No wrath or fury from God would ever remain against us. It was finished. It's done. It's accomplished. So if you're like me, you ask the question, okay, so what's left? (laughs) Surely there's something that remains needing to be forgiven, what about, what, what sin still remains on the account of God's people? According to Jesus, none. It's finished. The cup is empty. Well, well, well what sin though, come on, well, what sin still separates us from the Father? There's got to be something, right? What sin still separates us from Him? None. Every single sin of yours, for you who believe, was placed on Jesus. And it was removed as far as the east is from the what? West. See, we know this stuff. It's just hard to believe. He has wiped away every sin from the memory of God. Just our past sins, right? Well, I mean, surely it's just our past sins, not our futures, our future sins. Now, those are still on our account, and we've got to do business to get those taken care of, right? I mean, we're just talking about our past. Well, let me me just... Ask a question to a question. 2,000 years ago when this happened, how many sins of yours were past? I was only born 34 years ago. All of my sins were future. All of them. Hebrews says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Either that's true or it's false. I'm going to go with that's true. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So if we believe that only our sins from today to yesterday's were forgiven, and we have to get more forgiveness for tomorrow's sins, then according to the scripture, we have to have more shedding of blood. In order to to believe that, we have to have another perfect sacrifice to forgive us from future sins that haven't already been forgiven. That's not going to happen. Hebrews says that he died once and for all. It's done. It's done. It's done. So how can this be true? We ask. How can our sin be forgiven? I'm so unworthy. I'm so wicked. I'm so sinful. Listen, church. Stop arguing with God about this. You are loved You are loved by the creator of the universe. He loves you. He put every single sin of yours on his son and he crushed it. It was crushed. And Jesus endured it for you. But if you're like me, you think, you know, okay, that's great now, but wouldn't it be nice if there was a sign wouldn't it be nice if there was a sign that we could see? Because unless you've got some sort of goggles that I don't have, I can't see into the spiritual realm, and I can't see all of my sin debt being placed on Christ, and I can't see with my physical eyes all of the wrath of God's fury being poured out every single last drop. I can't see that. Maybe you can, but I can't see that with my eyeball. So wouldn't it be nice if something happened in this realm that we could see that showed us what happened in the other realm? Wouldn't that be nice? I think it would be nice. Let's read verse 38. Verse 38 says, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. Is that a good enough sign for you? Well, you're like, wait, what? what? Curtain, veil, what? Curtain, temple, I don't get it. Well, very quickly, there was a huge, some people say it's just three feet thick, 18 inches thick, I'm not really sure. I wasn't around. But there was this thick curtain in the temple and in the tabernacle that separated God, His holy presence, from the rest of the people. This thick curtain was a picture of the separation of how separate holy God was from sinful man. In fact, only one time a year could the high priest go to the other side of the curtain into God's presence. This curtain was a constant reminder of how God's people were separated from God because of their sin. The only way to do away with the curtain of separation was either for God to lose his holiness and become common, and that wasn't gonna happen, or for man to become holy which man could never do on his own. You, you can even picture in your mind this, this priest either picking up the curtain and walking under or, or walking around. It. I don't know exactly how it happened, but going around it and in, in total fear of the holiness of God that was on the other side awaiting him. And as soon as the high priest's time on the other side of the curtain was over, he would come out of the room and, and the heaviness of the curtain would slam back against the wall or slam back against the floor. Again, I don't know exactly how they went in and went out, but that slamming, was a reminder over and over to the priest and to God's people of this wall of separation between God and his people. But the separation has been removed. Jesus has removed the separation. He removed our sin, every sin that separated us from the Father. There was no more separation because there's no more wrath against God's God's people. It was gone. And God showed how gone it was, just how satisfied he was in the sacrifice of his son that he tore it. He destroyed it from the top to the bottom. There would no longer be a reminder of the separation between God and his people. The curtain was destroyed, showing us that everything that once separated us from the father has been destroyed by the son in these three hours of verse 39 says that there was a centurion standing. The centurion, he was facing him, and the centurion said, Behold, this man truly is the Son of God. How cool is that? How awesome is that, that, that the very man that was in charge of the crucifixion, he, what he, after seeing what he saw, he believed in Jesus. The other gospel writers tell us more about what he saw The other gospel writers tell us that when Jesus died, there was a great earthquake. Matthew even goes as far as to say that there were dead Old Testament believers who rose from the dead, walked around seemingly testifying to the fact that even their sins had been forgiven before they went on into heaven. And the centurion, what What is this? I've never seen this before. But I think the most important, Impressive thing that the centurion saw was the grace with which jesus died all these bystanders making fun of him what did jesus say forgive them for they know not what they do forgive them for they know not what they do his mother was standing there as he's hanging there suspended between heaven and earth jesus takes care of his mom who does that jesus does that jesus never said one vile thing Jesus never demanded his freedom. Jesus never demanded to be uh, set free for being blamed for something someone else did. He hung there and graciously received every last drop of God's wrath that we were due. The centurion never saw anything like that before. We try to wrap up our messages every Sunday morning with this this journey marker, we call it. Just something to kind of chew on throughout the week. Something in our community groups that we try to tease out a little bit further and apply into our life. And here's our journey marker for this morning. It's just simple. Mission accomplished. The cup is empty. Sin is gone. I know this is hard to believe. It's hard for me to believe at times. But I want you to say this with me. Say it with me. Mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. Well, let's all just say it together. Mission accomplished. The cup is empty. Sin is gone. One more time. Mission accomplished. The cup is empty. Sin is gone. We started talking this morning about just how frustrated it is to get blamed for someone else's mistakes. And we've seen the Lamb of God taking our blame upon himself and paying for with his life and with his death. But what about those moments in your life when you get credit, listen, for something you didn't do? Okay? All right? So like when your boss's boss comes in and, and congratulates you on the report that your team did, and you know full and well that you didn't contribute to that report whatsoever, but you're like, hey, yeah, thanks, you're, you're welcome. Or, or when your teacher sees your parents at, at the mall or at the store, the grocery store, and she's like, man, your kid is so awesome, but she re- thinks that she's talking to another kid's parents and so she got confused? Or when your wife thinks that you did the dishes, but it was really the kids? Look, You might feel guilty when that happens. You might feel awesome. I don't know. But you know, listen, you know that someone made a mistake. The boss's boss made a mistake. The teacher made a mistake. Your wife made a You know that someone made a mistake. And you are benefiting from it in some way. Listen to me, church. What Jesus has done for you was no mistake. It was no mistake. There's no reason to feel guilty or unworthy to receive it. He didn't do it for someone else, and then you accidentally came in and got tapped in to this righteousness and forgiveness thing. Listen, you were on his mind when he hung there, enduring the wrath of the Father. You were the joy, Hebrews 12 says, that was set before him, a holy, sanctified bride of his own. You, not you in your sins, but you having been clothed and given the very righteousness of Christ himself. It's not a mistake. It's what he did for you. You must receive the good news of what Jesus has done. You must receive it. How do you receive it? You must believe. You must believe. By believing in this work that Jesus did, you receive everything that Jesus is. You receive him. Our band's going to come up and get ready to close us out in the time of worship and through music. Hopefully we've been worshiping all morning. But as they do, we're going to sing two songs this morning to wrap up our time together. The first song is Jesus Paid It All. If, I, if you're like me, you've been singing a song since you were like Knee Hide a Grasshopper. But do we believe it? Do we live as though we believe it? The second song we're going to sing is Once and For All, meaning it's done. It is totally done. We pick these songs intentionally so that we can respond in one way or another to the work of the cross. Perhaps you'd like to just remain seated and praise the Lord in your seat, praying and thanking Him for what He's done. Perhaps you'd like to stand and raise your hands in, in adoration and praise of the one who put an end to all your sin. Perhaps you'd like to talk with me or Richard or somebody about what it means to believe in Jesus because you don't and you know you should. Richard and I will be in the back. We'll, we'll be available throughout the week. Just call us, email us, whatever. We'd love to talk with you. But maybe you're kind of mad this morning. Or maybe at least just a little confused. And you have questions. Maybe you're like me and you've grown up hearing that the wrath of the Father was not fully satisfied in Christ. Maybe, like me, you grew up thinking that every time you sin, God's wrath is now against you again. We use the term here, the completed work of Jesus. And what we mean is that it is complete. Just as Jesus said, it is finished. But we bring so much of our religious baggage to the table, and it's hard for us to really believe this. And And we think that it's up to us to try to manage our sin account, and it's up to us to try to, in our flesh, manage our behavior and, and try to have just moralistic behavior modification or else God's going to hold our sins against us so maybe you're upset this morning with this teaching that Jesus has in fact paid it all I too was mad at this teaching in high school somebody tried to show me what grace really was and I didn't believe them I was in my 30s until I actually came to grips with what Jesus actually did I want to close with asking a question we open with asking a question i want to close with asking a question it's here on the screen who are we going to trust religion that says it's not finished or jesus who says it is finished i'm gonna close with a excerpt from an email that jim erskine sent me a couple months ago he says the issue of sin is so over with for the believer <laughs> amen Nothing else can or will be done to further God's complete acceptance of us because of the Son. Jesus' sacrifice removed all sin. Not just the past ones like the blood the bulls and goats tried to do. Jesus is our sacrifice, yet he lives. Never to die again. He is a living sacrifice. He is in us and we are in him. We died with him, yet we live, yet not us, but a living sacrifice in us. Paul said in Romans 12 that if this is the case, isn't it reasonable that we actually present our bodies as a living sacrifice unto him with no confidence in our own ability or in our own righteousness, but resting totally in the perfect living sacrifice of Christ himself now. Father, I thank You for this morning. I thank You for the joy that was set before Christ on the cross. The joy of purchasing for Himself a bride. Of purifying for Himself a people. The joy of perfectly obeying You so that we who are in Him by default, have his same perfect obedience. You said hundreds of years before the cross that the day is coming when I will forgive their iniquities and I will wipe their, sinning, their sins away from my memory. God, you are so good. Help us to believe this, Father. Help us to live in the reality of, that your favor, your love, your mercy, your grace rests on us. As Craig has already said, you turned your back on your son so that you would never turn your back on us. You withdrew fellowship from your son so that you would never withdraw fellowship from us. Father, we thank you. Help us to be a church here in Crozet that boldly proclaims it is finished. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message from Life Journey Church. Feel free to distribute this podcast, but please, do not charge for it or alter it in any way. For more information about Life Journey Church, visit us at www.lifejourneyva.com.